RTI International's Justice Practice Area presents Just Science. Welcome to Just Science, a podcast for justice professionals and anyone interested in learning more about forensic science, innovative technology, current research, and actionable strategies to improve the criminal justice system. In Episode 3 of our Human Trafficking Policy and Research Analyses Project mini-season, Just Science sat down with Dr. Kelly Barrick, Dr. Rebecca Pfeffer, and Natasha Aranguren, research scientists at RTI International, to discuss a study which estimates the prevalence of labor trafficking in Houston as a part of the larger Human Trafficking Policy and Research Analyses Project. Understanding the scope and nature of human trafficking exploitation is crucial for informing appropriate policy responses both in the United States and internationally. Based on existing knowledge about human trafficking nationwide, researchers from the Human Trafficking Policy and Research Analyses Project selected construction workers in Houston, Texas as a key population for studying the prevalence of labor trafficking. Listen along as Dr. Barrick, Dr. Pfeffer, and Natasha discuss the importance of accurately estimating prevalence rates of human trafficking, the recruitment strategies and methodologies used in their study, and how they overcame specific challenges associated with this kind of research. This episode is funded by the Human Trafficking Policy and Research Analyses Project. Some content in this podcast may be considered sensitive and may evoke emotional responses or may not be appropriate for younger audiences. Here's your host, Samantha Charm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Just Science. I'm your host, Samantha Charm. On today's episode, we're going to discuss a study that's part of the Human Trafficking Policy and Research Analysis Project focused on estimating the prevalence of labor trafficking among construction workers in Houston, Texas. Here to discuss this are Rebecca Pfeffer, Kelly Barrick, and Natasha Aaron Welcome, Rebecca, Kelly, and Natasha. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having us. So tell me a little bit about yourselves. Who are you? What do you do? My name is Rebecca Pfeffer, and I'm a senior research criminologist in RTI's justice practice area. My work generally focuses on the identification and response to human trafficking, but I'm also interested in inclusive research methodologies. My current work focuses more on understanding ways to identify, address, and prevent labor trafficking. And I'm also the project director for the Human Trafficking Policy and Research Analyses Project. Hi, I'm Kelly Barrick. I'm also a senior research criminologist in RTI's justice practice area. Over my career, I've led mixed methods research and evaluation on a broad range of issues surrounding crime, victimization, and the criminal legal response. Recently, my work is primarily focused on human trafficking, particularly on improving our understanding of and response to both labor and sex trafficking. Hi, everybody. I am Natasha Aranguren. I'm a research survey scientist in RTI's data practice area in the Center for Behavioral Health Data. I help start and implement various data collection projects. My career started with children and young adults in the child welfare system and then transitioned to youth in the child welfare system that have experienced human trafficking, particularly sex trafficking. Now I'm facilitating two projects that focus on labor trafficking in the United States. I understand that your project was developed to align with a series of international projects funded by the State Department. Can you talk a little bit about the origin of this project and how it aligns with those international studies? So there's a lot of interest in understanding the scope of human trafficking, both here in the United States and internationally. People are really interested in the size of the problem. And understanding the size of the problem can help inform an appropriate policy response. 
So there's an initiative called the Prevalence Reduction Innovation Forum, which is funded by the U.S. State Department's Office to Monitor and Combat Trafficking in Persons that aims to build evidence about methodologies to estimate human trafficking prevalence. This initiative involves studies estimating the prevalence of human trafficking among specific industries, and these range from things like domestic work to um, labor in the fishing industry in six other countries outside of the United States. And each of those projects involves field testing two different prevalence estimation methods. And a main objective of that is to see whether if you try to answer the same question in two different ways, you still get the same answer. If the estimates generated from the two strategies are really similar, but one strategy is way more expensive than the other, or one is much more intrusive than the other, or if they're different in any significant way, those are important things to know. So there's a lot we can learn about the most efficient ways to estimate prevalence through this series of studies. And the study that we're wrapping up and that we want to talk a little bit about today is aligned with those international studies, but is set in the United States. So we are using two different methods to estimate the prevalence of labor trafficking among construction workers in Houston. And it's important to note that while there's a lot of emphasis on understanding the scope of the problem, it's equally important to understand the nature of the problem. That means that understanding what human trafficking actually looks like in our communities, how people are recruited, how they're exploited, how perpetrators take advantage of people really matters. So to prevent and respond to human trafficking, you have to understand those factors about how it happens and what it looks like in our communities. Sounds like human trafficking could happen anywhere in any industry. How did you select the construction industry in Houston specifically? Yeah, we could have done the study really in any number of industries and communities in the U.S. So in choosing a labor sector, we started with the priority areas that were identified by the Office on Trafficking in Persons during a workshop in 2020 called Estimating the Prevalence of Human Trafficking in the United States, Considerations and Complexities which was a workshop hosted by the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. The sectors they identified included direct care workers, child care workers, animal husbandry, illicit activities, and construction, particularly after a natural disaster. So at the beginning of the project, we conducted a scoping review to both understand the existing research on prevalence and to assess the feasibility of estimating the prevalence of trafficking in each of these different priority industries. Through that process, we determined that construction presented the best opportunity for us to pilot test multiple methods, which was the overarching goal of the study. So after selecting construction, we then needed to decide where to conduct the study. One of the priorities with construction was to assess the extent of trafficking that occurs after a natural disaster. So it, it's impossible to plan a study around a future disaster. Some disasters, such as hurricanes, do occur more frequently and repeatedly impact the same communities. So this resulted in two key considerations for us when selecting the site. One, it needed to have a large construction industry so we have enough workers to survey and participate in the study. And two, fairly frequent severe disasters so that we could gather information about labor abuses that occur in the cleanup and rebuilding after a disaster. So we first decided to focus on hurricanes as the disaster type, since they're a bit more predictable than other types of disasters, and they tend to cause substantial damage that requires um, a large reconstruction effort. So we developed a list of communities that experience a lot of hurricanes and then pulled data on the size of their construction industries. We selected Houston because it has an extremely large construction industry and was also rated high on an index of hurricane risk. 
So it sounds like labor trafficking and construction in the United States could look really different than trafficking in other industries in other parts of the world. How did you develop measures of exploitation and trafficking so that they would still be comparable in a global context? This is really tricky. Um, Human trafficking is difficult to define and measure. Most crimes, like burglary and car theft, are defined by individual incidents. For example, if someone breaks into your house and takes something, uh, you've been burglarized. However, human trafficking may involve a series of incidents over time, and there's no standard threshold for determining when these events become trafficking. Although the United Nations adopted an international protocol for defining trafficking in persons in 2000, differences in national and state definitions remain. On top of those differences, individual research studies often differ in how they measure trafficking victimization, and some definitions aren't well aligned with these established legal definitions. Fortunately for us, the Prevalence Reduction Innovation Forum, or PRIF, that Rebecca mentioned earlier, developed a statistical definition of human trafficking to guide the research teams who are leading these studies. The definition includes a long list of trafficking indicators across various domains, including things such as activities around recruitment, people's freedom of movement, and any violence they may have experienced. Each item was assigned a severity level of either medium or strong, and all the teams were expected to select the most relevant indicators for their population and adapt the languages needed to fit the industry of focus and the cultural context. The definition they developed also includes thresholds that distinguish trafficking from other forms of labor exploitation by accounting for both the severity and the number of types of exploitation that an individual experienced. Since your project involves asking people to take a survey, how did you decide how to identify and recruit participants? First, we wanted to figure out what had already been done um, and what we could learn from those prior efforts. So we conducted a scoping review of all of the prior human trafficking prevalence studies that we could identify. And we focused only on human trafficking research and not prevalent studies of other populations, because there are a lot of things about human trafficking that can make identification of victims difficult. So it's not necessarily the same as trying to measure prevalence of other populations. In our scoping review, we focused on the sampling and estimation strategies that had been used in prior studies. So we were systematically documenting the populations that those studies aim to estimate, the methods that those research teams used, the estimates that they produced, and any strengths or weaknesses noted. Then we considered how well each of those methods could be applied to different types of populations and what would be feasible for sampling workers in the construction industry. We had to take into consideration factors such as the fact that construction workers congregate in work sites and are visible, but they don't necessarily work in the same place for very long before they move on to the next site. Can you tell me a little bit more about the methods that you chose? Sure. So we ultimately decided to use two methods to capture the prevalence of labor trafficking among construction workers in Houston. The first method is called time location sampling. And to do this, we requested a list of current permitted construction sites within the city of Houston, and we randomly selected sites to visit during certain time windows. So we broke the city into 12 regions and focused on one region per month every month for a whole year and randomly selected locations and assigned one hour long window for field staff to visit those sites. 
We hired local field staff who could visit these sites, and they approached workers outside of those sites during the assigned time frame and gave them the opportunity to take the survey. The survey takes about 20 minutes to complete, and workers received a $50 gift card upon completion, and it was available in English and Spanish. The other method we employed was link tracing, in which we asked participants who had already taken the survey to recruit up to three of their peers who also worked in construction to take the survey. We called those original participants seed participants. They received the $50 incentive when they finished the survey, but seed participants then also received an additional $25 for each of their three referred peers who ended up taking the survey. So they could also make an additional $75 if they referred three peers. That's a very simplified explanation of these methods. Both of those methods had shortcomings, but it's sort of a basic explanation of what we decided to, to focus on and how we did that. It almost seems like you're conducting multiple studies at the same time. That must be really hard from a data collection perspective. Can you tell us a little bit about recruiting people from construction sites? What are the logistics of a study of this size? Yeah, it started out pretty complicated, but we've had great success in the study in part due to careful monitoring of the data and ability to adapt and be flexible to what we're seeing in the field. We had a lot of assumptions in the beginning of the project, one of them being that we were going to encounter very large construction sites and multi-level buildings, and the challenges were going to come from gaining access to the site and speaking with participants. So we only selected a small sample of sites for our first month of data collection so we could spend time trying to gain access instead of going all over Houston. We found that we rarely encountered large multi-level construction sites, and instead, most sites were really small townhomes or residential homes that had requested a permit for something like a fence, and it was going to be really difficult for our time location sample to fall on the same day and time that the workers were there. So our first month, we only selected 60 sites, but because there were such few workers at the sites we selected, we found we needed to sample many more sites so we can quickly move on and find workers somewhere else. So in our highest sample month, we selected 300 sites in a month. Logistically, setting up our systems before data collection began was very important. We needed our case IDs to reflect a parent case for referrals, uh, the system to identify if someone referred their friend so we can send them the additional $25, and for everything to be done behind the scenes in the system so our data collectors only had to focus on finding workers and beginning the survey. Five different systems were running at the same time to keep this project going, and getting all of them to communicate correctly took some time, but it was successful and has helped the project continue to move forward every month. From a recruiting standpoint, we definitely learned a lot about recruiting construction workers. We have a team of two interviewers going to each site, and they each have a tablet. It can be difficult to recruit workers who are actively working, like if they're pouring concrete, for example, because they have limited time, or they might have a foreman or their boss nearby monitoring their work. Construction workers also make a good amount of money, so our $50 incentive was not always enough to get them to complete the survey. We've also learned that we needed our interviewers to be bilingual, talk quickly enough to get them to understand how important the study is, and to get through the survey quickly to minimize the number of breakoffs. Many construction workers mention how important the study is because while they may not understand what labor trafficking is, they know that they can be treated unfairly and want their voice heard. 
More importantly, they want something to be done about it. And we relay that this is the first step in understanding what's happening in the area and industry. That sounds really difficult, but at least you have a trained field team who can talk to potential participants about the study. Can you tell us a little bit about relying on participants to recruit their peers? How does that work? Yeah, the referral sample has been one of the more challenging pieces of the study. Every other construction worker we recruit from a site is invited to refer up to three of their friends, and each of those three friends can also refer up to three of their friends. Participants seem to not want to refer their friends because... One, they want a physical gift card instead of an electronic gift card, even though if their friends complete it, they get that additional money. Two, they don't want to make their friends complete a survey that they don't really trust entirely themselves. Three, they don't want to or aren't able to enter their friend's phone number or email address for us to invite them to take the survey because they don't have that information readily available. They just might not know it. And lastly, they didn't like our survey questions. The length or the incentive wasn't enough, and they'd rather not subject their friends to take the same survey. Our case ID structure was crucial in closely monitoring how many first chain and second chain referrals have been completed and which parent case we need to send the additional incentive to. We've tried different methods to try to increase our referral response rate, but none were very successful. Recruiting participants in the field has been the most successful method since our field interviewers can talk to participants and relay the importance of the study. So where does the project stand now? What, what's next for it? Yeah, we've actually just recently completed data collection, which is awesome. So once we have all of that data in, the statisticians on our team are starting to work on developing the two different prevalence estimates using these different methods. Although that was the key focus of the study, we also have data that will allow us to look at things like risk factors for trafficking exploitation or identify particularly vulnerable populations. And as I mentioned earlier, we're also really interested in labor trafficking that occurs in the wake of natural disasters. Thankfully, uh, Houston didn't experience any hurricanes during our data collection period. However, we did include questions about whether any of the abuses that participants experienced occurred while they were working in either the cleanup or reconstruction from a disaster. So we'll be able to start to dig into that data a bit to explore whether labor abuses that occur after disasters look the same or different than during typical weather conditions. Our prevalence findings will also be incorporated into a meta-analysis with the international studies Rebecca mentioned earlier. This will allow us to explore how the various methods perform with different populations and different geographic areas. We also hope to broadly disseminate our findings to other federal agencies who work in the anti-trafficking space, as well as industry leaders and unions. And where can folks learn more about the work you're doing on labor trafficking? We mentioned that we published a scoping review of existing human trafficking prevalence research. And to read that report and learn more about this study and other projects we're conducting as part of the Human Trafficking Policy and Research Analyses Project, visit www.rti.org impact slash human dash trafficking dash policy dash research dash analysis. Is there anything you want to leave listeners with today? We're definitely learning a lot about how to measure the prevalence of human trafficking from this work, and we look forward to sharing what we learn when we conclude the study. But 
Equally important to understanding the prevalence of human trafficking is to understand the nature and context of that exploitation. This is critical for actually preventing and responding to the problem. Well, Kelly, Rebecca, Natasha, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure discussing your important work on trafficking today. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to like and follow Just Science on your platform of choice. I'm Samantha Charm, and this has been another episode of Just Science. Next week, Just Science will be sitting down with Lily Yu and Josh Hendricks to discuss a project that involves a process evaluation of the Human Trafficking Youth Prevention Education Demonstration Grant Program. Opinions or points of views expressed in this podcast represent a consensus of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of its funding.